Awesome. Okay, we are this morning wrapping up our series called Polarize. And it's no secret to any of us at all that we live in a polarized world. Um, to polarize uh, is, simply means to divide, although when you're speaking of polarized, it's, it's an even more significant division. We talk about the, 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 the two ends of the earth being the North Pole and the South Pole because they're completely on opposite ends of the spectrum. And there's a lot of polarization in our world. There's a lot of division over everything from vaccines to politics to gender to sexuality to immigration to guns to on and on and on and on. We could go. Divide. And to make matters worse, the division has, has even crept into the church, especially over the past two years. And so in this series, what we've, we've been doing is we've been looking at how despite the division that's out there, the polarization, Jesus still invites and calls us, his church, to live as one in the middle of a, of a polarized world. And in one of the longest prayers of the Bible, we, we read in John 17 how Jesus prayed that we, his church, would be one as, as he and the Father are one. So he's not just asking that we would be together and that we'd be united, but but he's asking that we would be united on a significant level. And in the series, we've looked at what it takes for the church to live as one. You know, it's, it's taking, it's, it's keeping Jesus the main thing. It's, ta- it's seeing ourselves not just as individuals, but as family. It's keeping a firm grasp on what's essential, you know, the beliefs, the doctrines that, that we're all ab- about, the closed-handed issues that we talked about, while, the, while at the same time keeping these open-handed issues holding them lightly. Um, Then last week we dove into Colossians 3 where God's word just aptly describes the spirit of unity with which we're to live, saying, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And it's living with this kind of posture, this humble posture, this sense of oneness that brings unity. And we've spent most of this series so far really trying to answer the question, okay, how can we, the church, live as one? And this morning, I kind of want to just take a little bit of a twist on that question. And as we wrap up today, I want to answer the question, how can we live as one in a divided world? Or, Or put slightly different, what's the right way to engage the culture around us that's so divided? And I believe the answer to this is this. If we're going to engage a divided world like Jesus, we have to remember, one, who we are. We have to remember why we're here, number two. And number three, we, we have to know how we're called to live. Three things. One has to do with identity, who you are. Number two has to do with purpose, why you're here. And number three has to do with conduct. How do we live in light of all this? Jesus, he also lived in a, a very polarized world. And on top of that, I would argue that Jesus himself is, is the most polarizing person in all of human history. Um, in week four, we read some scriptures that, that state how as he was walking this earth, he, people were divided over him. They could not agree on who he was. Was he, was he a fraud or was he the real deal? Was he telling truth or was he telling lies? Was he the son of God or was he a crazy man? They were divided on him. And to this day, he is just as polarizing as ever. And don't believe me, the next time you're 
talking with your friends at your high school or middle school or the next time that you're sitting around in your lunchroom or the next time you're sitting with family. Bring up Jesus and just see what happens. He, he is polarizing. And as his church, it's actually going to be the same with us, which raises the question, well, okay, is it even possible to engage a polarized world when the message that we bring to be, is polarizing to begin with? How do you engage a polarized world? And the answer is, yes, it is possible, and we just have to look to Jesus and how he did it, because in Jesus, we see a polarizing person engaging a polarizing, polarized world. And if we want to learn how to, how to engage a polarized world, we, we need to look to Jesus to see how he did it. And this morning to do that, we're going to actually be hanging out for most of the morning in Matthew chapter 15. Speaking of Matthew, it's Matthew's birthday today. Our co-home play, player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Turns to big 16. <laughs> so. <laughs> so we're going to be hanging out in the book of Matthew in the Bible. And uh, uh, Matthew chapter 15, it's going to be up on the screen, but if you have a Bible app or a Bible, it'd be cool to follow along that way too. But I just want to give you some context really quick to, to the story that we're going to be reading and in this story, we're actually going to see two different groups of people approach Jesus. And they're approaching Jesus for one reason. They want to trap Jesus in his words. And um, this wasn't an uncommon thing for Jesus' experience. He was constantly having people back in the day trying to trap him in his words. Um, they had all kinds of selfish motivations for wanting to do this. Uh, some people wanted to expose him. Um, they thought he was a fraud. Other people... I wanted him to back their specific cause. Some people wanted him to start a political revolution. And so they wanted to trap him, though, in order to get him moving in the direction that they wanted him to go. And on this particular occasion, there, there's these two groups of people who think that they've finally found the perfect gotcha question for Jesus. A question that no matter how you answer, you're in trouble. Have you ever been asked a gotcha question before? You know, I think one of the most asked gotcha questions is a question that, that you've probably been asked in the middle of an interview. It's that question, okay, what are, what are your strengths? Tell me your strengths. That's a gotcha question, right? No matter how you answer that question, you know, if you answer like, okay, let me just, let, let me just unpack to you all of my strengths. Man, I tend to like just procrastinate. I can be lazy. I can show up to work from time to time. Sometimes I just lack work ethic. That's probably the wrong answer, right? But you can't, on the other hand, come back and say, well, okay, I actually don't really have a lot of weaknesses. Because if you answer that way, you've just exposed two weaknesses, pride and a very serious lack of self-awareness, right? It's a gotcha question. And people are always trying to find the right gotcha question for Jesus. And in Matthew, uh, um, we, we see that here. He, he seems to have been Ask the perfect gotcha question. So we're going to read here in, in the book of Matthew. It says, Then the Pharisees went out, that's the first group of people, and they laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the, the Herodians. This is the second group of people. And they said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Word to the wise, whenever your enemies start to butter you up and flatter you, 
um, they might just be getting ready to pounce. Now, just a little context here to what's going on. You have these two groups, the Pharisees and the Herodians. The Pharisees, they tend to be conservative. They are big on nationalism. They want Israel to be freed from the Roman oppressors. The Herodians, on the other hand, are very pro-government. They are big supporters of the ruling class who aren't as big on nationalistic goals and ideals. Do these two groups of people remind you of any particular political parties? You know, I have a friend um, who's a massive history buff, and uh, um, he actually taught history for 20 years, and uh, sometimes we'll, we'll start talking just about what's going on in the world, and, and at some point, he almost will always say, same, 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 because history really does truly repeat itself. And so here in, in this, this story, we have these two polarized groups of people, Pharisees and Herodians, coming to Jesus with a question— and, and here is the, the question they ask. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now understand that these two polarized sides do not agree on what the answer is to this politically polarized question. In fact, when it comes to the answer to this question, the Pharisees and the Herodians are miles apart. Imagine if you had Bernie Sanders and Ted Cruz approach you with the question, should public health care be made private or not? The answer to that question, it, those guys are, are miles apart, right, on the answer to that, that question. And in this question, a trap has been laid for Jesus. If he says, you know what, pay Caesar, the Pharisees, who believe that it's, it's actually blasphemous to pay any sort of tax to Caesar— they're going to accuse Jesus of endorsing idolatry because of the way that Caesar had set himself up as a god. Jesus is, is going to potentially compromise his following. People will walk away from him. They might not show up to his next meeting, whatever. If he says, don't pay taxes, the other group of people, the Herodians, who are full-fledged followers of Caesar, they want Herod, the, the Roman governor, king, to just be like, the guy, they're going to accuse Jesus of treason and maybe even have Jesus arrested. Do you see how this question is, it seems like a simple enough question on the, the front end, but when you really dive in, it is a, it's a, it's a gotcha question. It is a trap for Jesus. And so how is Jesus, who is a polarizing person with a polarizing me message, how is he going to engage the polarized world in which he lives? And we're going to learn how to do that, not only by what he says, but also by what he doesn't say. Listen to how he responds. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And so they brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what's Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Bam, another Jesus mic drop moment <laughs> that concludes with Matthew writing, when they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. So how do you engage a polarized world? First thing is this, you got to remember who you are. Remember who you are. Jesus is not showing up, showing up on the scene to try to win friends and influence people. That's not why he came. And even the people that are questioning him here, 
they know that. They, they actually say to him, you aren't swayed by others. There's actually this moment where Jesus was getting ready to, to wash his disciples' feet. You know, that scene in the upper room, just as he's getting ready to go to the cross. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and the Bible says there, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus did not have identity issues. He didn't, know, he didn't question who he was. He knew who he was. He knew. As we're going to see in a second, he also knew what he was called to do. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? The Bible says you are a child of God. You are his. Psalm 100 says this, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. You're a child of God. You belong to Jesus. Listen to what, what 1 Peter 2 says. It goes on even further to say that you are a chosen people, you are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. You're God's chosen, holy people. Yes, you. God's chosen, holy people. And when you lose sight of who you are, listen, you will fail at engaging the world in the right way. You will fail. And, and here's why. You'll, if, you, if you lose sight of who you are, and you lose sight of what you're called to do, and what you're, who you're called to be, you'll begin to think that your primary calling in this life is to represent a certain ideology, is to represent a, a, a certain group of opinions. You'll think that your primary calling is to maybe represent a... a, a a political party or leader you'll think that your your calling is to maybe even represent primarily a particular nation and in the process lose sight of what what matters the most in matthew 22 in the story here jesus absolutely re refuses to play the polarized games of his day he doesn't play the games at all and you, you just can't fit him in a box and, and one of the reasons that the church has lost its ability to effectively engage the world is because we've forgotten that our primary allegiance, you got to get this, our primary allegiance is not to a politician or a political party or an ideology. Our primary allegiance is to Jesus. It's very quiet in here this morning. Our primary allegiance is to Jesus. And our primary calling is to see His kingdom come to this earth. He's our hope. He's our answer. He's the Savior. Everything else in this world that you turn to as a Savior will always disappoint in the end. Always. You have to remember who you are. Next, if you're going to engage the world like Jesus, you have to remember why you're here. Jesus, he, Jesus has asked this question, pay taxes to Caesar or not? And this is, is actually, not only is it a gotcha question, it's one of these, these classic examples of how there's a deeper question underneath the question. You know, you have these times where someone asks you a question and you get the sense that there's just, there's actually a deeper question being asked than the question that they're actually asking. Well, that's exactly what's going on here. There's a deeper question behind the question. And that question is actually more along the lines of which ideology, Jesus, do you support? Jesus, are you more about the Herodians 
and their way of thinking about things and seeing the world and their perspective? Or, Jesus, are you more about the way the Pharisees think, see things and their perspective, opinions, ideology, all that kind of stuff? And interestingly enough, Jesus is silent on the question behind the question. He's silent. Why? Because he knows why he's there, and his purpose is bigger than whatever the issues, the politics, the ideologies of the day. He knows that his purpose is bigger than that. His purpose actually has to do with eternity. He puts it like this. He says, this is to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And ultimately, you got to get this, ultimately, this is why you're here. To live a life that honors Jesus, that points people to Him, and to bring His kingdom to this earth. And sometimes, sometimes that will require you to speak up. You know, especially as the truth of God's Word is being questioned, and, in, and not just being questioned, but it's being fought against. In those times, the church is not actually called to find a happy middle ground that's going to make everybody feel good and make everybody comfortable and cozy. No, in those times where truth is being assailed, the church is actually called to speak up and, 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 and to be a light. Now, we're called to do that with humility and with grace, but we're also called to do it unapologetically. And as the world becomes more hostile to the truth of God's word, you got to understand, this is actually going to get harder and harder and harder to do. But it's why we're here. So sometimes we're, we're called to speak up, but, but listen, other times we're actually called in order to shine the light of the, the message of the gospel, in order, order to, to let the light shine on that message, to live out our purpose, is actually going to require us to be silent on the issues, just like Jesus was, rather than speak up. You know, it's interesting how in this, this passage of Scripture that we're reading here, everybody wants Jesus to speak up about the issues of the day, but he doesn't. He goes against the expectations. He does things, things backwards. Rather than make everybody happy or even settling for making just one side happy, making the other side upset, Jesus makes both sides unhappy. He makes both sides upset. I was listening to this message recently by a, a pastor named Mark Clark. He pastors this church up in Surrey, B.C., and, and he was talking about how when you look at the broader scope of Jesus' life, that the liberals didn't like him because he took the, the Bible literally. You know, he was all about miracles and creation, and, and he, he even had political nationalists, guys like Simon the Zealot, following him. So you have the liberals that don't like him, but then you also have the conservatives that don't like him either because he's healing everybody and he's giving away free stuff, food, healing to people who don't deserve it. And when Jesus has this opportunity to address any kind of misinformation around who he was and where he was on these different issues and ideologies and make things clear, he doesn't. Instead, he's, he's actually silent. And, you know, one of the challenges that I think all of us have probably had over the last couple of years, I know I've had this challenge a, a lot over the, this last couple of years, is, you know, there's been this pressure to speak up on issues that maybe are important issues, but issues that aren't really the main thing. And I've struggled because I have an opinion on absolutely everything that 
you have. But here's the thing, my, my job is not to address every single social issue that is ailing society. Now, I understand there's a dance here and, and, and knowing which ones you need to speak up on and which ones you don't need to speak up on, where it's time to be quiet and when it's time to speak up. There, there is discernment that take, needs to take place there. But my main job and your job is, is, is to reach people on every side of the issues with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as soon as we start picking sides, we can become pol a political pundit and end up losing the other side. You understand what I'm saying? So Jesus was hated by the left and he's hated by the right. He didn't conform to the rules of either side. In fact, you know, we talk a lot about council culture these days. Jesus was actually canceled by the powers on both sides of the political spectrum. Canceled. And we are part of his kingdom. And it's a, it's a different kingdom than the kingdoms of this world. But if we're to engage the world rightly, we have to align ourselves with his purpose. And his ultimate purpose was to bring the gospel that, that the message that sets captives free, loving one another in the world around us, and ushering in his kingdom to this world. And then lastly, if, if, you're gonna, if you're gonna engage culture in the right way, you have to know who you are, know why you're here, and then conduct yourself accordingly. And what we read earlier on, we, we read about how we're God's chosen people. That's why we're here. We're here to be a light in the darkness. We don't conduct ourselves as citizens of this world because ultimately the Bible talks about how, how as his followers, as his church, we're ultimately not citizens of this world. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Peter 2. It says, Dear friends, I warn you as what? As temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable, honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Respect everybody and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. It's interesting. There's this one word that keeps popping up in this passage of scripture and it's the word honor. It's the word honor. And, and what that means is that we respect people. What that means is that we see people, whether they look like us, act like us, talk like us, believe like us, we see people as image bearers of God, and we honor them. We value them as somebody who God created and who Christ gave his life for. It's this thing of this, we honor one another. And so just some questions for you. When you disagree with somebody, do you respond with honor or do you respond with something else? Maybe contempt, maybe disgust, maybe anger. When somebody offends you or lives in a way that's completely opposite of what you believe, do you still honor them? Not just to their face, but even behind their back. Do you care more about winning a debate or whatever the issue might be, or do you care more about representing Jesus and honoring others? That's, that's conducting ourselves in, in, in a way that is worthy of the calling that we've been called to. It's conducting ourselves as people who are children of God, who belong to Him, and who are here with the same mission that Jesus walked this earth with. 
You know, this last uh, week has been, it's been pretty cool, like I said, just to see how people have come together. And it's really a, a, a powerful example of what it looks like for us to engage a polarized world. Because when you're in the middle of devastation and disaster and just all kinds of bad stuff going on, you know, what happens in that situation is pretty soon you begin to lose sight of what your differences are, don't you? You begin to lose sight of just maybe how you're on the opposite end of the political spectrum from this person or how you just have a different idea about this issue and this issue. And in that moment, you just, what do you do? You just see, okay, there's, there's a need that needs to be met here. And this thing that I was, I've been making the main thing is actually not the main thing. What's, what's, what needs to happen here is to, to push that aside and just be all about helping people and serving people. And if we want to be serious about engaging the world around us and, and understand it is getting more difficult every single year for the church to engage the world around us. It's, it's becoming more of a challenge. And if we want to do it, and we want to do it, it we want to do it well, we have to be not only about remembering who we are and who our primary allegiance is to, we also be, need to, to just remember why we're here, and we also need to be conducting ourselves just like Jesus did. One of the reasons that Jesus was, was silent on this is because he knew that, that, that ultimately he was there to, to bring a message of hope and life and truth. And if we want to do, be like Jesus, we have to be, be the same, to conduct ourselves just like he did. The kingdom that Jesus proclaimed is it's about love and mercy and compassion, humility and service. And, and this is where we're called to focus. Where we're called to focus. So just some questions as we wrap up. Do you remember... Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? You are a follower of God, a child of His. You belong to Him. Do you remember? Do you remember why you're, what, what you're called to? Do you remember what your purpose is? You're called to bring light and to, to make the name of Jesus known. And then lastly, are you living accordingly to who you are and why you're here? And the church has to get back to being the church, living, living as one. And engaging the world like Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, God, I just want to invite you, Jesus, as you've already been doing this morning, God, here in this moment, God, to speak to us, Lord, about, Lord, how we're living our lives. God, we are, are so prone to get off track and to begin focusing on things, God, that really aren't the main thing. And Jesus, we, we see, Lord, in this story, God, that we read today, Lord, how you would God, just very wisely, God, you would be about not getting off on, on side issues, but God, you are constantly about making the, making the main thing the main thing, the gospel, making the name of, of Jesus known. And Father, I pray, God, that you would help us, God, to, to be about that. God, help us, um, God, as individuals, God, who make up your church here in this city, God, help us to be about making you the main thing. God, not to forget that. And then Lord, I also want to pray, Jesus, that you would help us, God, to conduct our lives, God, in, God, just according to who we are and what you call us to do and who you call us to be. Help us to do that. God, help us, God, to be, to be people who, who, who love others, God, who serve others, who don't get caught up in, in, in our differences, who don't get caught up in how we think differently and believe differently. God, 
but who, who, are, who are just so caught up in you, Jesus, and we're so caught up in loving people like you do that we don't let the other stuff, God, distract us. And then, Lord, I also want to pray, Jesus, that you just help us, God, to be a church that is discerning and wise. God, when it comes to the, the, the issues of the day, Jesus, it's not always black and white on whether or not we need to be silent or speak up. God, there are, are, are moments, God, where you're calling the church to speak up and not be silent. Just like there's moments where you call, you're calling us, God, to be silent and not speak up. And, and God, knowing the difference, God, takes wisdom, discernment. So God, I pray that you'd be our help. God, whether it's, it's how we engage corporately or whether it's, uh, it has to do more with how we engage individually with our families and our friends and in the workplaces and schools. God, would we just be full of a spirit of discernment to know how to engage like you, you engage. And so, Lord, I just want to just conclude this, this time together by asking Jesus that you just help us to live like you. And, and God, help us to be one. God, as you and the Father are one. God, make us one as you and the Father are one. God, when division tries to creep, creep in and rear its ugly head, God, I pray that you help us to have a resolve and a determination to live as one, just like you and the Father are one. Help us in that, I pray. Bring us together. Unite us. God, that we can be a light in this world.